What do I define about growing up? You know what I'm saying? Like feeling better, living better, better location. What he failed to tell you was when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, you know, respond. Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um everybody black. Betting on black tonight. I'm sorry for the realness. Hey everybody, it's Whitney from WhitneyDanielle.com and on this episode of Network and Spill, we're doing a hashtag the spill segment. And today I wanted to do something fun and a little different than what I've been doing on the show. I've got a very special guest who's actually local to me here in the DMV, DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. And we're going to talk about wine. I'm so, so, so excited about this. I've been looking forward to this episode for weeks to record. And I'm going to get into the background a bit in a second, but I met this woman, Miss Desiree, online, on social media. We've never, we had never met in person before until I hosted an event just last weekend um, in DC, downtown DC, next to Howard University. So I was out there one day with a friend touring her around, showed her Howard. And then we were driving along and we found this little wine shop. It was a Latin wine shop. And we stopped in. I bought my dad some espresso beans and I think we just perused. And then we got some coffee across the street. And I was like, I should do an event here. So long story short, I decided to have a meetup with my meetup group, Network and Spill here in Virginia. And I invited Desiree to come out from Maryland to meet up with me and some other folks. And we were just gonna make a thing out of it. We did a wine class there. So shout out to Grand Cotta in DC. It was so, so much fun, but that was a chance where I actually got to meet Desiree in person and chit chat with her just for a little bit, taste some wine, hang out. And now we are going to record our episode. So let me give you Desiree's background. So Desiree, she is the creator of Wino Noir. You can find her on Instagram and on other social medias, I'm sure, but I found her on IG and she has a blog that helps people understand wine and she offers no nonsense tips and tricks all around the wine industry. And it's just really fun because she helps people feel more comfortable with wine and just everything that kind of goes into it. So I'm really excited. Desiree, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Whitney. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. Yay. So did you have fun at the wine tasting on Friday? Was that cool? I had so much fun. It was so informative. I've been studying wine, so it was a nice little break to get around some other folks and drink wine, but also still be really engaged in in drinking wine. So it was awesome. It was. And and the guy who was there, his name is Pedro. Shout out to Pedro. He's one of the owners of Grand Cata. And he had, I think, four or five different wines from different places that he had picked out for us for the tasting. He had no idea what we were kind of interested in or what we wanted to taste. So he used his own knowledge and background to pick some good stuff. And it was just, it was good. I liked, I think there was there four or five wines. I believe there were five. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I liked, I think I liked all of them. Did you like all of them or most of them? I did. I liked all of them for the most part. It's funny you mentioned it. I'm actually drinking the rosé right now. So, what? yep, that was one of one of my favorite ones. I liked a lot of them, but the rosé in particular was only 11 bucks and you can't beat that for a really good rosé. Absolutely. Yeah, I forgot you bought some wine there. My sister did too. A lot of people bought wines there. I can't wait to go back. I want to get like a case and just fill it up with the different stuff. I may even join the wine club. They have a pretty cool yeah. 
wine club. Um, okay. So let's just, let's just take a step back. I want to, so this is fun because we're actually networking and smelling. I'm drinking water because I have to work out after this, but <laughs> <laughs> I will, we'll, we'll do, when we do our Q and a on IG live, we'll both be drinking. So I'm excited about that, but, um, let's get into your background and how you got into wine and what about wine interests you so much. I love to tell the story about how I got into wine because I really fell into it on accident. After I graduated from the University of Maryland, I was working part-time, looking for a job, like a struggling recent graduate, and I had some extra time on my hands, so I started doing wine tastings at liquor stores and grocery stores, and I used that as an opportunity to really learn more about wine. The goal was to sell wine at these events. And I didn't really know much about wine. I would research before each of the events and kind of go in with a flashcard, but I didn't have any knowledge beyond the quick research that I did. So I was doing that for, you know, a couple of months and I started to research where I could learn more about wine. And that's how I started my formal education in the wine industry. And really getting that basic knowledge helped me to sell more wine and to share wine tips with customers and to really inform them about what they were getting in the bottle. So it was really on accident. I never thought I would work in the wine industry. I thought I was just doing it to make some extra cash, but it turned out to be um, a really great career path. Nice. It's so cool when you kind of fall into stuff and then you realize that there's a, a gap, right? There's a total gap in the industry. And I think, I think some places are trying to make it easier and more accessible and less, you know, intense and persnickety, I guess, because there's this whole weird, I guess there's just like stereotypes with wine people, you know, there's got the winos and the wine snobs and it's like, okay, sure. But then you've got the beer guys and everyone's like, oh, beer, it's like a crafty, like hipster underground. Like, you know, there's all these different um, stereotypes with wine, but it doesn't have to be that way. Number one, number two, it's typically not that way. If you actually get into, mm-hmm. you know, the industry and you learn, you're like, you know, it's actually not that bad. Um, I've met, I've been to a bunch of wineries in Virginia and I've very rarely come across, like very rarely come across people who are just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you information or blah, blah. Most people are pretty knowledgeable. It's just yep. about showing up and kind of asking and, and being interested. And once you get into it, it is so much fun. It's so I much definitely fun. agree with that. I think my perception of the wine industry before coming into it was totally off. It seemed really intimidating. It seemed like everyone talking about wine, they were all wine snobs, like you mentioned. But once you're in it and you're talking to people, most people love to talk about wine, love to share their knowledge and don't come off um, condescending in any way. So I think the perception from the outside is totally wrong. So my goal is really to get more people to feel like they're on the inside and take away that um, unapproachable mask. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you're doing that. So 
that brings me to something that I really want to focus this episode around. So everybody who is listening, I know I talk a lot about networking and going out to events and meeting people and this, this, and this. But what I really want to highlight in this episode that I'm really excited to talk about is just the fact that when you know things about wine or really any sort of libation um, and you're going out, you're attending events, you're going to conferences, you're going to happy hours or networking events, this is something that you can bring in and use while you're at these events. It's it's a conversation starter for sure. It's something that you know you can read up on and do at home. You can bring friends. There's there's so many opportunities with wine, you know, in any when you look at it from any perspective. But I really wanted to highlight how the wine industry and really just wine in general can help you in random and regular parts of your life. So being able to talk about wine when you're on a date, being able to pick out a good wine when you're at the store with a friend or being able to be helpful to somebody when you're at, you know, when you're in Wegmans or when you're in Total Wine or whatever store you go to for wine, being able to walk up to somebody and ask them questions and get a conversation going. And I mean, it's it's so cool. There's so much that you could talk about. And I really want to bring Desiree on it to talk about that specifically because I want you guys to be able to confidently go into this and then to be able to use it almost as a tool in your tool belt. So Desiree, can you talk a little bit about how wine can sort of help you I don't want to say look better, but I mean, you, you, you become more knowledgeable. So then you have that information and that data. So you kind of come off smarter and knowledgeable and in the know, right? Yes, I totally agree with all of that. I think that wine knowledge is so powerful. Before I started working in wine sales more recently, I was working in corporate America and we would go to happy hours and we would have networking events. And there's nothing worse than being at a happy hour or being at a work function and not knowing what to order and almost falling back on the standard rum and Coke, which doesn't really look that great. Not that there's anything with rum and Coke. I love a rum and Coke. But when you're out in these settings, you want to order wine and kind of, you know, fit in with your colleagues. So having the background knowledge, knowing what you like and um, being able to ask the right questions of the server or the bartender will really help make these networking experiences much better. Um, and if you're the only person at the networking or if you're at a networking event, you're probably not the only one who doesn't feel super comfortable with wine. So if you go up to the bar, you ask the server and you're really confident about what you want, or you're asking the right questions, for instance, can I get a wine that is medium bodied with a little bit of fruit, but not sweet people that would pique people's interest and they would, you know, feel like you know know what you're talking about. Um, and then you could help the next person order a glass of wine and you already have um, a weigh-in, a conversation starter at that event. So I really think that wine knowledge is powerful in that sense. And then once you start talking about wine, it brings up the conversation of what wineries have you visited or what wine regions have you visited? Um, and it just takes small talk to the next level. I agree. And, you know, the small talk can easily turn into a full-blown conversation. And then next thing you know, you've got plans to either 
buy a bottle of wine with this person or go to a winery or something with this person or go out to dinner. Um, it's just, it's fun. I've had so many people, you know, talk about wine to me and vice versa. And the, you just, you always learn something new. There's wine is so big. Like you said, you've been studying wine. We went to this wine tasting or wine class and you learned even more. And it was really cool because I got to try one of my favorite wines is Malbec. And uh, I love Spanish, especially like Argentinian wines. And I got to try a new wine that I hadn't had before. What was it called? Was it Barbado? Oh, Bard, Bardado, I think. Or Gard, Gardado. I, I can't remember which one. We'll look it up. But Bardado. it was really cool because yeah. <laughs> apparently, you know, Malbec has been something that's been, it's been in the country now, or at least it's been on people's radars for a bit. It's been getting more popular. I liked Malbec like eight years ago when I found out about it because I had been kind of perusing through my local Wegmans when I lived in Virginia and I learned about Malbec and just like heavier, more complex wines. And I really liked Wegmans because they had people who would like legit help you. And if you didn't like it, you could go back and be like, yo, this was gross. And they could recommend you something else based on what you said. And they had like the little pictures. I think Total Wine does that too, where they have like employees pictures by the employees' favorite wines and stuff. But that's kind of how I got into it. But I had never heard of this particular wine. And this particular wine is one that's like, old school to, I think, Italy. And in Italy, they, that was the thing. Or was it Italy or was it? Oh, I don't remember. I thought they said, yeah, the, the Italians that yep. were emigrated over and they went to South America, they had this like tradition of making wine this particular way. And it was like a 50-50 blend of these two wines. One of them was Malbec and one was the other one. And I had never Barnada. heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had never heard of it. And I was like, bro, this is so cool. And so I got to try a wine that was 100% Barbado or whatever. So that was, to me, that was cool because I've tried so many different like Argentinian wines and Malbecs and stuff. So to try that was kind of fun because it expanded my mind. And now I have an entirely new wine that I can look for when I go to different shops and stores and stuff like that. So you really never know what you're going to learn is the point. And that's the great part about it. And that's why I really think that wine shouldn't be intimidating because no one knows everything. Everyone could learn something from the next person. Um, and that's why you should just, you know, be open to, to learning because there's no way to know everything about wine. There's so many grapes. That was also my first time trying Barnada and I loved it. So now, like you said, I'm going to be looking for it and trying more expressions of it. Yeah. And not only is there so much to learn, but we all have our, per- our preferences and our personal choices and what we like. So, you know, what you may like is different than me. And so then in the areas in which we are interested, we end up learning a little bit more. So if I know that I like Spanish wines or I like Argentinian wines, or I like Chilean wines, or I like whatever Australian wines, then I'm going to look into those more than maybe I would New Zealand or South African. So you get to learn what you like. And obviously we have our own preferences, so we get to learn. But again, I think it's really cool because it makes you look smart. It makes you feel smart. You can become helpful. And you have something to talk about when you go places. So um, I'm excited to talk about that. But let's get into some of the stuff that you focus on on your blog. Like, what are some of the questions that you get the most people are asking? They're like, hey, like, what do I do for this? Or tell me about that. Like, what are some of your most common questions? That's a good question. So a lot of times people are asking for wine recommendations. And me personally, I try to stray away from giving brand recommendations um, when I get a question like that, because 
distribution is different everywhere. So I might give you a recommendation and you might not be able to find it in your local store. So really my go-to answer is to think about the types of food and the flavors that you like. So if you tend to like cherry and strawberry tart fruit, then Pinot Noir might be a good place for you to start. Um, I like to help people explore in the direction of their preference, like you just mentioned. Everybody's going to like something different based on your personal preference. And a lot of times your food preferences, even coffee, if you like black coffee, you're probably going to like big, bold uh, wines like Syrah. So using those food preferences and drink preferences to steer people in the right direction of the wines that they may enjoy. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, if you like, if you like more, like I like creamy coffee, like with lattes and stuff like that. And I like, I like complex things, but not like spicy and peppery flavors. Um, so when I do a lot of tastings in Virginia, it's funny because my friend Amanda, she and I always used to go wine tasting together and she hates Cab Franc. And it's always so funny because that's a big grape in Virginia. And it's typically on any wine tasting list that you go to in the area. And every single time she always rolls her eyes and she's like, I don't like Cabernet Franc. And it's funny because I'll still try it, but she's like, nah, I'm not interested. But the, the yeah. flavor, it's just so different and it is earthy and peppery and it's just super extra. I don't necessarily mind it. I'm not going to buy a bottle of it probably, but she Mm -hmm. really doesn't like it. So it really does depend on what you like, but that's how you kind of get into learning. So you, you really do have to try it. And one thing I will say, this is something I will say, I learned this the hard way. Years and years ago, I was in Virginia and I went to this like random place and this lady had a winery and she was pouring her wine and I tried it and it was a Merlot and it was so nasty. And I felt bad because I didn't want to spit it on in front of her. So I just like drank it. But I was, after that, I was like, I do not like Merlot. Merlot was gross, not interested, don't want to try it. And then somebody years later, months later was like, Hey, you should try this. I'm like, what is it? I'm like, oh, it's a Merlot. I was like, mm, hard pass. And they're like, no, seriously, it's good. And I'm like, I really don't think so. And they're like, no, seriously, try it. So I was like, fine. And I tried it and I was like, dude, this is really good. And it shocked me to the point where I was like, all right, so here's what I can't do anymore. I can't (laughs) try it one time and then say that I don't like it because chances are somebody makes one that I would like. It's just, I didn't like that one. Or maybe it was a bad year or maybe it had been left open too long, or maybe it was just really gross. Um, so I've, I've learned that with Chardonnay as well. And I think I said this on at the event. My friend loved, my friend Kim loved buttery Chardonnays. And I was like, this is so grody. Like, how can you drink this? It's, it doesn't even taste good. And then eventually I had it a few more times and it was like, wait a minute. This actually really is good. It's it not like, that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. It tastes like a Ritz cracker. It was so good. And it was like, you know, like the texture, it was buttery and it was like, thick and it was just really good. And so again, after that happened to me a couple of times, I was like, I no longer say I don't like something. And it really, just be curious. I think the curiosity is really important when it comes to wine. It comes, when it comes to anything, right? Being curious about different varietals, different grapes, different locations, right? Not just saying, oh, well, I only drink French wines. Like that's the kind of shit that puts you in the wine snob category. Exactly. That is so (laughs) snobby. That is exactly what I don't like. No, (laughs) nobody likes that. Nobody like, it's not cool. Like you got to open your horizon. So I didn't really want to drive that point home. So can you talk a little bit about how people can get interested in like 
trying different stuff. Like I know certain places have tastings, like I think Wegmans does tastings and maybe BJ's will do a wine tasting here or there, but like where else can people go just try to just dabble a little bit? So most local liquor stores do wine tastings. Um, believe it or not, if you go into your, a few of your local stores, I'm sure you can find one that's going to be having a wine tasting. And that's really great because a lot of the times they will have somebody from the distributor speaking. And if you're at a great store, you might even have the winemaker speaking there and they will be giving you samples of wine. This is a great place to go to just try all the wine you want without any commitment to purchase. You can go and try all five that they have. Granted, it'll only be a one ounce pour. You can maybe ask for a second, but it won't be much, but you'll get a feel for if you like that style of wine or not. Another great thing to do is just to ask, find a great local store and to ask the person that works there to ask for recommendations. Um, And when you go in asking for recommendations, I would, again, be mindful of how you're asking. So asking in an educated way, telling them what flavors you like, what's your price point, because wine can vary. You can buy really cheap wine and you can buy really, really expensive wine. So helping the psalm or the wine steward help you by giving them a clue of of what you like in terms of food or flavors. And that's a great way to, that's a great place to start. And one thing I'll mention based on what you said is um, don't try a wine once and say you don't like it because winemakers make wine different everywhere. Wine is really great growing and where the grapes are grown is really going to change the way it's expressed. French wine is usually going to be a little lighter with more earthy notes, where if you get New World wines from, say, California, they're going to be bigger and bolder. So you can have the same exact Merlot grape or Cabernet grape, and it's going to be worlds apart. Um, So definitely try all the wines you can to figure out what style, but also don't be afraid to not drink the wine. When I first started in the wine industry, I would notice people would swish the wine around and spit it out. And I never really knew what that was about. Um, The purpose of it is really so that you don't get drunk. Um, You can put the wine in your mouth, swish it around, take in just a little bit of air. It takes practice, but do it a few times and then spit it out. You still get the same flavors um, in your mouth and you can still get a feel for the weight, the body of the wine, but you're not ingesting it. Um, So you're not going to get drunk. But also if you don't like it, you can also just spit it out. (laughs) And you could say, you know, I'm driving or, you know, typically you're not going to offend the person by, by spitting their wine out. I would obviously not say, oh, this is gross. But, you know, (laughs) you could, you know, Say, say the things that you don't like about it. This wine is too peppery for my preference, or this wine doesn't have a lot of fruit. So really getting your vocabulary up is going to help other people help you um, find wines that you like. Absolutely. And if you don't, you don't have to go into a wine store too and, and have all of this information. A lot of times if the person in there is knowledgeable, they'll be able to ask you questions and get information from you that will help them recommend something for you. So I think there's just like, I don't know, for some people it's like, well, how am I going to go into the wine store and ask for, you know, help when I really don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And it's like, okay, but you know something, 
you know, yeah, if you like you reds, you know, if you like whites, <laughs> you know, if you like sweet, you know, if you don't like, you know, the basics and that's and, all you need to know. Exactly. And you know what you're having for dinner. If you're looking for a wine pairing for something for dinner, say that. And, and just that little bit of information can help the person help you. Exactly. So I think there's, you know, when you're going into the stores, don't like freak out. It's, it's most of the people are super nice. And if you get in, there's a total wine, um, in Virginia that I've, I went to not too long ago. I think it was around Christmas time. And this guy was a trip. We went in there he was like an older gentleman, you know, he had like grandkids and his wife and him had probably been together for like a million years. He was so friendly and he sat there and he giggled with us and he was like, hold on. And he just, we really, kikied in the aisle for like 15 minutes. And it's relationships like that when you're building them. Again, that's networking 101. You build a rapport with this person and you could come back and, and like I said, be like, hey, I really liked that one. Or hey, that was trash. Or hey, you know, can you give me something a little bit different? Or I'm shopping for a friend and I want to get them something like my buttery Chardonnay friend. She likes buttery Chardonnays. I need something that's going to impress her. Um, these are things that you can go in and ask them. And because you've made a mini relationship with them, they're going to go the extra mile and really try to help you find something that's within your price range that you probably won't hate, um, that will help you get where you're trying to go. So let's, let's talk about the wine pairings for a second. Let's backtrack. So what are the basics for that? Cause I normally do popcorn wines. I call them popcorn wines and I'm not the only one who does this because I don't always drink wine with dinner. I drink it after. So like by itself, I do a lot of drinking it by itself, but sometimes I'll have a snack. So I, I typically have popcorn and that's what I pair it with. And I like to taste the wine a lot. So I, my, I like it's a little bit different, but for those who cook and who want to cook with wine and who want to pair it and be kind of fancy or have people over for parties and hosting, what are some of the basics for that? So wine is typically going to be acidic. All wine has acid, but as acidic wines are going to go really great with food, with you think of pasta sauces and different uh, marinades that are acidic. They may have fruit or even think like soy sauce. These things are going to go really great with acidic wines. Um, another very basic food pairing is to pair the boldness. So if you're having a big, bold meat for dinner, then you want to pair the food with a similarly bold wine. If you're having a light meal and it doesn't have a lot of bold flavors, then you're going to want to match the wine with the same light intensity. Um, those are just really, really basic high art arching um, pairing tips. Um, one other one that I really love is salty food goes really well with sparkling wine. That's why so many people love fried chicken and um, champagne because the saltiness of the chicken pairs really well with the acid and the bubbles and it helps to clear your palate and get you ready for your very next bite. Um, but really, you know, experiment with it, try things, use those basic pairing rules to get out of your comfort zone and to find wines that, you know, may pair in an interesting way. Some wines, you could have a congruent pairing, so the wine matches the food, but then there's also contrasting pairings. So you might have a creamy dish, and you want to pair that with something acidic, and that 
that's a contrasting pairing that may not make sense when you say it out loud, but then when you have it on your plate, um, it's really, really interesting and tastes great. So really experiment, but you could use those rules as a great place to start. That's a good point. Yeah. And you can also go, I guess, probably to Pinterest too and get some ideas. I'm sure there's some graphics. And then when you go to some of these wine shops, a lot of them have little pamphlets and little like informational bits of information laying around that they can probably share. And also like we did that wine class. That was kind of cool. And you can go to stuff like that. I got into wine because my when I was years ago, I think when I was out of college, I had graduated college. I was working, I had my little job and I was doing my thing. And there was a little local wine shop where I lived called Cork and Fork. And they actually still exist. They, they had three locations. I think now they have one or two. They closed the one by my parents' house at the time. And I would go in there and they would have wine tastings like almost every day. And they would pair them. They had different like little themes. Like they did port one day and they did like different regions and they had rosé and they had just, it was so cool. And it was so, and they were pretty inexpensive. And then you could come in, I think on the weekends and get free tastings where they would just kind of sample. And I forgot to mention this. Sometimes when you do sample the wine that they are offering, there's a discount. So you don't even have to pay full price. That's kind of cool too. So if you're like on the fence or you just want something kind of low key, you get to taste it first and it's discounted. So it's like, win-win. Um, because most of the time, if you go to a big store, they're not going to open a wine for you to taste. Whereas mm-hmm. if you go to a local shop, a lot of times they will. So um, find that information. And there's lots of information if you want it, I think is the point, right? Yes. The information is there. You just got to look for it. I live in Montgomery County and all the county liquor stores, you can get a free wine wheel. So it literally spins around with different meal options and it'll match it with a type of wine. And I love this, this tool and it was free at the liquor store and also the internet. Wine Folly is one of my favorite websites that I still use to this day as a resource to get information about new wines, new wine pairing options. Um, you're not expected to know everything. You just got to use your resources out there um, to ma- help you feel more confident about wine. Yep. And so I want to talk a little bit about what you're studying. So you mentioned that you were on a level three course or training. Like, tell me about all of that. Sure. So I'm studying through the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. It is a London-based certification program that teaches wine enthusiasts and wine professionals the theory and tasting aspects of wine. A lot of people are familiar with becoming a sommelier. And what that really means is you're doing the service aspect. So you're in the restaurants, you're making the the recommendations on the restaurant floor. WSET takes out of the program those serving aspects and gives you the theory-based knowledge that you need. So I passed my level one, I passed my level two, and now I'm on level three, which is a huge jump up from the level two. It's a lot more information, a lot more wine regions, and it requires you to learn more about the wine growing process, the wine making process, and really um, use the basic information to uh, analyze wine. So it's an awesome program. It's a lot of work, but I'm excited because I know it will help me to help um, grow my my platform and to help more people by having that that knowledge and that credential. 
And it seems like fun too, because you get to go through, I don't know, I just like learning. I like reading stuff and like going through things. And so for me, I'm always interested, you know, how can I learn more about X, Y, and Z thing? And so obviously you don't have to take a course and get certified, but it is cool to know people who are certified. So if you are interested in learning more, obviously it's fun to PM people and, and whatnot. So tell us about your IG page. What is your Instagram handle? So my Instagram page is Wine on Noir. You can find me on Instagram and I also uh, have a blog at wineonnoir.com. I talk a lot about um, the things we're talking about here, food and wine pairings. Sometimes I share recipes and things I'm cooking. I'm no chef. <laughs> like I said, I don't work in the restaurants, but um, I do share share information that helps make uh, wine more interesting, more approachable. And, um, my platform is great because I have a lot of people talking to each other, asking questions, and it's just a fun place to learn. It is. And it's cool to see what people are making and what you're cooking up and what you're excited about and different wines that you're featuring, because I will tell you, it makes it easier when I see somebody I know drinking something, you know, I'm like, huh, well, if there, it just, I don't know, for some reason, it's like, I want to drink it more because I know that you've had it and you've said something positive about it. So it's just, for me, it's like, and then I I can go into the store and be like, hey, uh, I saw my friend or I saw somebody on Instagram drinking this particular wine. Do you guys carry it? And they can say, oh yeah, we've got it over here. And then you can buy it. Or they'll say, no, we don't. However, if you do like this kind, like let's say it's a Zinfandel. If you love Zinfandel or you're interested in trying it, here's one that I think you might like. And then they'll take you to the Zin area and you can try that. So I think being able to see- right? Being able to see people drinking stuff, it's like, okay, cool. Now it's in the back of your head. And based off of what you said on the blog or on the Instagram post, now I can take that information and make a, you know, some sort of decision on what I want to do moving forward, or I can bookmark it for later. So I think that's what probably a lot of people are doing. Wine to me is really community. I think you mentioned it before, but taking the wine classes, it helps build community. You don't have to, you know, take these wine, wine official wine courses, but being out, going to your local wine shop, supporting your local uh, stores, you meet people and you get to learn more and connect with other people and find out what they're drinking. So um, even outside of the internet, I think that the wine community is great. And wherever you are, you are going to be able to find a community of wine lovers and even wineries, there are wineries in all 50 states, I believe. So no matter where you are, no matter where you're listening from, you can find a winery to visit. And it's awesome to su- just support local agriculture and the, the businesses that are right in your area or not far from you. So it's, it's great. It is great. And it's fun too. Cause like we, in Virginia, there's a ton of wineries out here. Virginia is becoming bigger and bigger with wine, but a lot of people don't know that outside of the DMV area, they, they have no idea. And same on the East or on the West coast, there's a lot of people in Oregon, right? Oregon is a big wine area, obviously California. And then Washington state has been getting bigger and bigger in the wine industry. So there's a lot of places that are up and coming. I was in Georgia visiting my sister last summer, the summer before, and we drove I want to say it was like an hour out of the way and went to some, I think we went to two really beautiful wineries out there. And it's cool because they had totally different stuff than they do in Virginia, than they do in California and, and SoCal or NorCal. So I really like the diversity of the different types of places that you can go. And then it's also cool to learn about where you live so that when you do travel out, you can be like, oh yeah, like when I travel to Cali, I'm always like, 
hey, yeah, I live in Virginia. You know, we go chasing, yeah, our state grape is Viognier and we have this, this, and this. And it's actually really cool. And I've been in like 50 wineries in Virginia and people are like, what? That's kind of cool. Or I didn't know anything about Viognier or oh, blah, 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 blah. I love Viognier, whatever. It just, it's a conversation starter too. And it's cool to learn what's going on in your neck of the woods, like in the world or in the US, right? I think that's kind of cool. I haven't been any in Maryland, I don't think. Have you? I have been, um, well, I actually work at Great Shoals on the weekends. It's a Maryland winery. All of our grapes are sourced on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, but we bottle it and bring it to the tasting room in Tacoma Park. We have a lot of wine, but mostly we're known for our cider. Um, but if you're ever in, in Maryland, there are options for Maryland wine that are really, really awesome. Nice. We'll have to put some in the in the show notes. Um, and also too, Virginia has like a pamphlet. So when you go to most Virginia wineries, they have like a book. It's like a little map and you can open it up and it has all the different like areas. So, you know, Virginia is pretty big. And so there's like Northern Virginia and then there's Central and then there's Southern and they've kind of divvied it out into sections. So you can see, you know, where you want to go and you can make a trip out of it, et cetera, et cetera. So depending on where you're at, they may have like a list of, or a map of different wineries that you can hit and just kind of go every so often and try it out. Also, I feel like your local wine shop, somebody there has probably been at one of the wineries in your local area and can also probably guide you to which one is good or worth the trip. Cause that's always, that's always a good move. Definitely. Yeah. I just think that that wine fits perfectly with network and spill. It's the perfect networking intro and, um, it's a really fun topic to talk about. So that's it is. Awesome. <laughs> it totally is. Okay. So one thing I did learn at the wine class is that DC, he said DC was the top place, the top region for rosé in like the country. That blew my mind. That also blew my mind, but I'm not surprised. Um, honestly, he could have said any big city and I wouldn't be surprised that rosé is highly consumed there. Rosé is all the rage right now. Everyone's drinking rosé. A lot of companies are making rosés. Um, it's just a really fun wine. I mean, how can you say no to a pink drink, you know? <laughs> it's true, but I, I thought it would be LA. I thought it would be a West Coast just because it seems like the way that it had been marketed for a while was that it was a very basic uh, type drink. And so I thought SoCal would have definitely been the place like LA or LA. I thought it would be LA. So DC really, really, really shook me. I had no idea. But I wanted to say that because there's a lot of like weird fun facts like that, even with certain grapes. Like when you learn that, you know, there were certain grapes that were like snuck into the country or that like didn't exist for a while or like grapes that just do weird stuff and that only grow in this kind of air. Like that kind of stuff to me is super, it's, they're fun facts, right? These are, what do they call them? Those like party party tricks or party trivia. It's like when you go somewhere, you can just like say that and people are like, really? Yeah, you seem so much smarter. I, um, the company that I work for, we just came out with a new Carmenere and it's um, a Bordeaux grape that was used in Bordeaux. Not very much now, but it got wiped out when Phylloxera hit France and they started making it in Chile and they thought it was Merlot. So they weren't making it right. And finally they discovered it was Carmenere and now some of the best Carmenere comes out of Chile. So that's one of those like fun facts. Like they thought this grape was a different grape and 
it kind of got a bad name because people thought it was Merlot and they weren't making it the way that Carmenere should be made. They were making it the way Merlot should be made. Um, so now you can find really great expressions of Carmenere coming out of Chile. So, so many just like fun tidbits of information that when people find out, they're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's, I just think it's interesting to learn that kind of stuff. But obviously, you know, rosé is big and that's a great wine for warmer months of the year, right? So when it comes to seasons, like, is it like fruit? I mean, obviously grapes are fruits, but is it similar to fruits where certain wines just do better and are better to drink during certain times of the year? So I would say that the type of wine you drink for the seasons goes with the types of food you're eating, the temperature. When it's really hot outside, sometimes it can be hard to drink a big, bold, high alcohol, full body red. You don't want to be sitting out in the sun drinking, you know, a big Syrah. I mean, people do it and it goes good with grilled meat, but a rosé, a lighter wine with a little less alcohol, with high acidity that has refreshing lemon flavors are just going to be way more suitable for laying by the pool and chilling out. So I think it has a lot to do with the types of food you're eating and also the weather. In terms of food, you're probably eating a salad or you're probably having fish or um, fruits in the summer. So having that lighter acidic wine is going to go better with those types of foods than say, um, a big bold Cabernet. Yep. That makes sense. And I like to, I mean, I like all wine. I really, I don't discriminate anymore and at all at this point, but I know for me when it's colder, I go for the reds and an occasional rosé. Cause when I lived in San Diego, the weather was mild every day. Like it was perfect every day. So you really didn't get, you know, these stark temperature changes. And obviously because we're in this like sort of tropical environment in San Diego, you get lots of, or not really tropical, but it's like, it's 75 degrees every day. Yeah. It doesn't rain. So it's not really tropical, but it's perfect for every kind of food essentially like we get and because of where they're located they get all kinds of food so there's not really like seasonal stuff as much but when it is cold I love to do a dark red and when it's nicer I like to do a chilled white or rosé so for me that's kind of how I do it but I am very curious to know what are some of your favorite wines Oh, this is such a hard question for me because I like a lot of wines, but um, I love Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Um, I love the acidity. I love that pungent flavor. It's so refreshing on a hot day. It's almost like drinking lemonade, like on a hot day, you just want a cold glass of lemonade, but Sauvignon Blanc is, is my lemonade in the summertime. I mean, yeah. And then in the winter, um, I typically go for like a Syrah or um, just bigger, bolder Cabernets from, say, California. Those are really good in the winter when I just want to be cozy and cuddle up with a blanket and have a wine that's going to make me feel really warm. Um, I definitely am a seasonal drinker. I typically put my rides away in the summertime and explore all the white wine and rosé wine varietals that are out there on the market. Me too. Yeah, I feel you. But I also, I agree with you that it's also about what you're eating. So there are certain foods that I'm just like, yeah, I need a red for this and I'll do that. But I really liked, I got into rosés a lot in Cali because the weather was just always, you know, it's warm during the day and it's kind of chilly at night. So you really 
don't necessarily feel inclined towards one red or one white or one or the other. Like you're just like, yeah, whatever, we can do both. So right. to me, rosé is... <laughs> Exactly. So I got really big into them there, but I love that rosés are becoming more popular because you can get, I think there was this like assumption that because it was pink, it was sweet and girly, but there are, that's like the complete opposite of what rosé actually is, right? Totally. Um, A very easy trick to figure out how sweet your wine is going to be is to look at the alcohol by volume. Every bottle of wine is going to have how much alcohol is in it. If it's 11 or lower, you're probably going to be drinking a sweet wine um, because sugar was left in the wine after fermentation. When you start getting to higher, like 13, 14, 15, these are going to be drier wines. So if you're confused about, you know, is this wine going to be sweet or dry? A quick tip is to look for um, the alcohol by volume. In some wines, not that many will have the amount of residual sugar that's in the wine. And you can look for that. If it's saying the residual sugar, it's most likely going to be on the sweeter side. So that's just a quick trick to use. But I would not assume that all rosé is sweet. That's totally wrong. That's a myth. Absolutely. Yeah, I love rosés that are right in the middle. I do not like, I don't like sweet wines, period. Um, but I do like a fruit forward wine. And I do like a smooth wine. You know, I like what I like, but when it comes to rosés, you can get some really, really, really good stuff from all over the world. So definitely this spring, this summer, I guess spring is almost kind of over, but for this summer, definitely look to see what's going on. There's always, obviously, like you said, new companies coming out with rosés and putting stuff out there that's really good quality. So I know also Wegmans and a lot of the wine shops have like an entire higher section of just rosés. So it's so yeah. much fun. It can be hard though, because you go in and you have all these options. But another trick with rosé is to pick a rosé that is made with the grape that you like. If you prefer Pinot Noir, find a rosé of Pinot Noir and you're probably going to get same of some of those same fruit uh, profiles. If you prefer prefer Grenache, look for a rosé of Grenache. Rosé is made from red grapes. They just let the wine sit on the skins for a little bit so it gets that pink color. But depending on the grape, you're going to get the different profile of the grape, no matter, you know, which grape it is. Yeah, that's a good point. So I I love these two tips here. Definitely, if you're going to go shopping or whatnot, come back to this episode and scroll back to this point so that you can remember these tips and tricks. Um, I'm really excited to try some new wines this summer. And I will say, I judge a wine based on the bottle and the label. So if it's cool looking and it's got a cool bottle, we were talking about screw caps, how there were so many wine people who were like, eh screw cap wines are trash. And I'm like, bro, I'm drinking by myself half the time because I like wines that other people don't like. So I want a screw cap. It just makes my life that much easier, especially if it's a white and it's going right into the fridge. I don't always have access to my wine stoppers and all this shit. So it's like, for me, I really appreciate screw cap wines and I really appreciate wines that are designed beautifully and in cool bottles. Do you think, I mean, obviously it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the quality of the wine or the, um, the taste of the wine, but I do, I mean, I judge a book by its cover for sure. It, for me, it adds something. I can actually make an executive decision when I'm in the store amongst 1 million quadrillion wine options. Yes. I definitely judge a book by its cover when it comes to wine. I think wine labels with, 
um, like a cool picture, cool design. It just shows me that the winemaker was a little thoughtful. And a lot of times the wine label will have a cool story to it that you might be able to quickly Google search or maybe you can find it on the back of the bottle. But my eyes definitely go towards the bottles with the coolest label, even though that always that isn't always a good um way to judge the wine, I am going to just be completely honest here and say that I do it and I don't judge anyone who also does it. Nope. I don't care. Like you said, everybody loves a good story, period. Everybody loves a pretty picture for the most part. Like, I don't know really anybody who doesn't. So for me, it's like, yeah, if you're putting in the effort to design something beautiful and, you know, maybe you put in some extra effort to make your wine bottle look different and stand out, that's going to, to me, that's my eyes going to go there. If you have that kind of money to spend on marketing, hopefully you've put that time and effort also into your wine and it's actually really good. So I don't know. For me, it's like, I I do, I just, how am I supposed to make a decision? I don't know these people, right? (laughs) I don't know all these places. So, you know, I've picked my my area and I've I've done that. One thing I will say that I liked about Grand Cotta was that they handpick everybody that's in there. So, and a lot of wine shops, I believe, will do something similar or they will at least try. So when you look in there and you're looking at different places, like they told me, this is a winery that's a woman-owned winery, blah, 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 blah. They told me her whole backstory. It was so interesting. And the guys, they go, they go to these places and they hang out with these wine people. Like that's what they do. It's so, so, so cool. I really want to do that one day. But they physically go and they meet these folks. They get to know the families and the stories and they come back. And that way, when they sell these wines, they can sell it with a story, with a background and you know what you're getting versus buying just, you know, barefoot and whoever the hell else is out there. That's where I like Grand Cotta. They were like, yeah, we, we liked working. We wanted to find more women run wineries and vineyards and this is and this. And, you know, we've picked good quality people and this is just, I love that. I love, love, love that they do that. And I wish more people would do that to try to find good people doing good things, making good and great products for us to consume. That it makes a difference in my purchase for sure. It definitely does. I love a good story. And um, that's why I encourage people to find their local wine shop um, instead of going to some of the big chains or the big grocery stores. Find a shop with a knowledgeable wine buyer or store owner. And typically they'll be doing some of the same things that you mentioned with Grancata, really doing the research to find out the backstory of the wine and not just purchasing from the big box names. Um, it's just a really great way to know what you, where your money is going, who you're supporting. We mentioned the label. A lot of times the wine bottles with cool labels are supporting local artists and the label has something to do with where the wine came from. So I don't, I don't really feel bad for supporting the cool labels, especially if I know that the story um, is a good story and that it's supporting the community or supporting an artist. It's, Makes me feel good. Absolutely. I love that. And I will say too, just as one last like networking pro tip here, when you, one of the things I noticed is that when you go to wineries, because like I said, there's a ton in Virginia and I've got access to a bunch. I'll just roll up a lot of times by myself. When you go, especially if you go when it's not a peak traffic time, the people there, the person that's serving you the wine will typically go and like 
above and beyond and get into it with you and like explain things with you. If you really want like that customized intimate experience and not pay for like a class or you don't want to get real bougie with it, you can go to the local wine shop or a winery and just roll up when it's not like Saturday afternoon and everybody and their mom is there and ask questions, get involved, try more stuff, um, buy a bottle and sit there. And I mean, obviously maybe not buy the bottle and then sit there if you drove, but you know, (laughs) just try so they'll, they'll, you can ask questions and they will answer them for you. And they will answer a ton of stuff, even if it sounds really, really like, you know, novice and stupid. Uh, they're really, really cool. So that's one you can go to. That's one thing I will do. I will go to, I go to a lot of stuff by myself. A lot of places I'll just roll up solo. Wineries and wine shops are great places to go by yourself because they will cater to you. Um, and most people who go with other people are talking to those people and they don't necessarily want to know the nitty gritty or the background story or whatever. But if you're solo, then you can just talk to the person. I've done that so much. I've gotten so much free wine, so much free shit. I've gotten turned for like less than $10. Um, <laughs> it's really great to go. That's one thing that, you know, you can feel safe going by yourself as long as you don't overdo it with the drinking and you have a safe way to get home. I really recommend going to wineries and local places like that, you know, solo. And you can easily have a great time, especially if that person is knowledgeable and friendly. So, and typically, you know, they are. So yeah, that was my last pro tip. But I did want to ask you one more question. This will be the, the last question of the, of the chat. So tell me about a time when you were networking in the wine industry and it changed the game for you, or you learned about something and it just shifted everything. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think that my first trip to um, France, I spent two days in Champagne and I didn't really know much about Champagne. I knew that Champagne was, you know, this expensive wine that people drank at celebrations. That was the extent of my knowledge of Champagne. But going, I visited Vuquico in Tattinger and and went into the caves and saw all that went into making the wine and learned about the history of wine. And that really changed my perspective when champagne, but also in wine in general. Wine is history. There's so much history to wine. Um, A lot of work goes into wine. Uh, Wine is agriculture. There are people picking grapes. There are people lugging the grapes and moving them to different locations, pressing the grapes, sorting the grapes. And champagne was the first time that I I really understood the process to make wine. And it helped me to appreciate what I was drinking. Before then, I was just picking up a bottle from the shelf and, you know, just drinking it. But that helped me to realize all that went into it, to care more about the stories of wine. And it helped me to just appreciate it uh, way more than I did before that. So I don't think it takes a trip out of the country to have a similar experience. You could probably have the same experience visiting a local winery, but really taking the time to appreciate the winemaker and the choices that they have made and also maybe the struggles that they have made. Winemaking can be really risky and a lot of winemakers, their livelihood depends on Um, selling their wine. So if it's a bad year for them, their crop is bad, that's their livelihood. They're really taking a risk for the enjoyment of of people who, you know, love to drink wine. So visiting Champagne, that was the first time that I just 
um, really started to appreciate wine in a new way. Um, and that's kind of where I really fell in love with it. I love that. I love that. I haven't been to Champagne or, you know, Europe at all. <laughs> so I'm really excited. I know once I go, I, I will love it too. And you're absolutely right. You don't have to go to Champagne to understand, you know, the wine process and to see what people are going through. And I, I've seen it in Virginia, the wine process, many places, you know, they harvest around the same time. A lot of them will have days where you can come and help them. So they have the machines there. You get to see how the, the whole damn process. I mean, a lot of them have the, the vines out, you know, where you can actually see the grapes growing. And um, it's really, really fun to see that. And then you'll, you get to see where they do all the peeling and the whatever. And then they put them in the little containers and then they mush them. And then they have the bottling process. They have all of that shit typically on site. And then some of them hire people to come and to do that process so you can easily roll up. Like they do it in Virginia all the time. You can easily roll up during harvest season and help them. They have like volunteer days and stuff if you really want to learn. But yeah, I think that's so cool. It'd be really cool to do that in another country. So I'm excited. But I am so glad that you agreed to be on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to just get out there and help people just approach wine and just not care what other people think because it's fun and wine is for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way about networking. I want people to approach it and not care what people think either. Um, to me, it just, it makes the world go around and we feel better about ourselves. And then when we feel better about what we're drinking and eating and doing and going and hanging out with and all of that. So I mentioned where people can find you on Instagram. Um, I will put that in the show notes. So make sure you guys go follow It's It's Amper, or sorry, not ampersand, but the at symbol, W-I-N-O, right? N-O-I-R-E? Yep, that's it. Okay. So guys, add her right now and follow, and then we'll post some more pictures, and then we'll probably get together at some point. You haven't been to Cooper's Hawk, right? No, I haven't. My, my mom is in a wine club there, so she tells me all about it. I have to visit. I can't wait, and we should totally do it together. Yes. My sister is a wine member there and I mooch off of her account all the time, but we should definitely go very, very soon. I wish we could do our Q&A there. That'd be really cool, but it gets really loud. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, we'll figure it out. At the, at the very least, we'll do our Q&A on Facebook for anybody who, or on Instagram for anybody who has any questions, if you guys want to drink with us and if you want to spill with us and just have a chit chat and hang out, we will be going live on Instagram in the next few days after this episode has been released. And then at some point when we do go, go to Cooper's Hawk, which is a local, um, actually it's, it's all over, I think the country, maybe all over the East coast. I'm not sure exactly where all of the Cooper's Hawks are, but it's a winery and restaurant and it's a really nice place. It's local to us in Virginia here. And, um, they've got really great wine and really great food. So we're going to go and hang out and kind of kiki a little bit and talk about whatever and drink a lot of wine. And, um, we'll do either a boomerang or we'll do a post or something at Cooper's Hawk when we go. So stay tuned for that. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have any friends who are interested in wine are dabbling in it, who love it, definitely share this episode with them, especially if they're new to wine and they're interested in learning more. Um, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and also make sure you're following me on the gram. My IG handle is at network and spill. I also have my business IG, which is Whitney Danielle coaching and we'll be back with new episodes every single Thursday. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you, Desiree for, uh, coming on and talking with us and we'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.